Hello and welcome back to the Dash Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Gammage, and I have with me today the Honorable Judge Andre Gammage, joining us in South Carolina to visit his grandson, my son, Marcellus. And uh, we decided to get together and, and have another podcast episode. So if you're a fan of the Dash Podcast, then you know that uh, Dre was on episode three and four. We talked about preparing the child's education and the opposite of welfare. So, uh, Dad, I'm glad to have you back in town. This has been fun so far. And um, it's kind of cool seeing 200 episodes ago. Yeah. You were on the podcast. Yeah. And four years. And so, so much has changed since then. How do you feel like the, the opposite of welfare is has gone on since then or preparing your child's education? What, what, um, what has been the progress from those conversations we had with Pikes? Right. versus how you're making that kind of impact in the community? Those are good questions, and I'll get to them. I also want to say it's been great to be here in South Carolina to spend time with you and your lovely wife, Carmen, and my, my wonderful grandson, Marcellus, and getting the two or 100 episodes that you talked about. You know, that's a, that's a huge accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Proud of you and proud of your efforts and continuing his efforts and uh, in, informing the people and, and the progress that you made in your career. So I'm really proud of that. For that first of all. Uh, and second of all, as far as as far as Pikes is concerned, preparing your child for education, it's kind of taking a different turn. Right? Mm-hmm. And I say a different turn from the standpoint of you know I love the preparing your child for education. So a lot of things have happened over the course of the last couple of years, anyway, especially as far as COVID is concerned, mm-hmm. and, and other opportunities have presented themselves uh, to me in the same space, mm-hmm. and, and that space really is to be able to move the ball forward. For for poor minorities in particular, and and uh, and that's what I uh, that's what I continue to do, and so um, those opportunities that have uh, presented themselves in the way my own community, um, back in the South Bend, Indiana, and even throughout the state, some of the things I've heard, mm-hmm. and also um, things have changed in terms of over those two hundred episodes. Uh, you know, and you said it's been seven years. There's yeah. a lot of change for me and my my family, particularly yeah. my kids, and you all. I'm growing my leaves and browns, and mm-hmm. I, you know, not only one grandchild here in the summers, but but also Oakley back in the South End, and uh, and watching uh, you grow in your career, watching Austin, your oldest brother, grow mm-hmm. in his career and being involved in, in, in his family and in their businesses. So one of the things, I guess, one of the things is um, I'm most proud of is that. Each of you has taken your own space. Mm-hmm. So in terms of preparing the child for education, my kids doing their part, doing my part. It's like, you know, it's been, it's been, um, uh, you know, just wonderful to see how you all have, have yeah. progressed and as as young men, particularly young black men, and have um, and impacted the community. I think that's one of the most important things that mm-hmm. each of you continues to impact the community, and, and that's really important. It's not just hey, look at me, what I've done. You continue to impact the community to education and also the family mm-hmm. in, in their own ways and you know, with Valencia with the um, uh, with Brian Children's Hospital and things mm-hmm. like this your youngest brother continue to do his thing. So so I'm I'm very proud of that and, and I think that uh I've made some progress also yeah impact the community. I think one of the um pieces that stood out for me from those first couple episodes when you talked about the family you were born into. Yeah. You know and, and so much of your success and my success is has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with you. Right. I was born into a family that 
continuing to carry on the legacy. And yeah. so I, that really flipped the switch for me. When, when you mentioned that, that you know, if I was born to a different mom or a different dad, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. Right. And so I think there's a humility that kind of came with that and a deeper understanding over time as to what, what that really means, you yeah. know, and how to take advantage of those opportunities. Um, I think one of the cool pieces, too, is that, you know, we don't always talk about, as a family, we don't necessarily talk about the service of grandma or, or grandpa's image or even yourself. But I think there's, we see it, though. Yeah. You know, and we see it through your nonprofits or we see it through how you're connecting uh, contractors with black contractors right. with business and, and even the expungement that we'll get to later. But I think that that eye for service and that humility of recognizing that, that we come from privilege. Yeah. And you hear about white privilege all the time, but uh, we have black privilege in yeah. our family. And, right. and I feel like sometimes that can even be, I don't want to say taboo, but it could feel awkward to talk about because yeah. uh, there's so few black people that can go back to 1860 and, and say, hey, here's my family Bible. There, there's so few black people that can say, hey, my, my grand, our first family member went to college in 1955. Yeah. You know, for, for some people that might not be very long, but for us, that's three generations. Yeah. You know, my kid's about to be a fourth generation college student. And that's, that's something to be proud of. And it's an absolute privilege. Um, but it, it can be a little bit like, if I say that to somebody, I don't want them to feel like I'm bragging or like I'm, like I'm whatever the case is. How, how would you, how does that sit with you? I think you have to understand privilege, you have to put it in perspective. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about white privilege, for, for many of us, we look at white privilege of being born to a very wealthy um, neighborhood and having a, a business that maybe persevere and carry on, mm -hmm. child or children can carry on. Um, and or and, and honestly, there's just some things that there's just some things that go along with being white and some things that go along with being black. And so when we talk about we talk about privilege, uh, and how people can't debate the situation, but but being black is different. I mean, <laughs> there, there's just some things that you gotta mm -hmm. do every day. When I pull out of my garage, I'm like, okay, I'm black. I'm gonna drive like I'm black, I'm gonna go to school like I'm black. Yeah. There, there's just some things. And so even when we talk about privilege, it it people say, Well, my privilege and this is this is king. And we want to put some label to it, but to some extent, to some extent, it's just being black. Mm -hmm. We got to move around a little different to be able to, to be able to make it. But I think that it is important, whether you're white or black, to be able to recognize that, that there is privilege. You know, people who have any really semblance of success. I mean, some people came from nothing and they make it. That's that's pretty rare. Though. That's pretty yeah. rare. But even even those people, I mean, that you have to be able to say, you know, there was good fortune. I just happen to be blessed. I happened to be at the right place at the right time. There, someone took me on as a mentor. I was mm -hmm. adopted by the right person for, for for us in terms of the things that we talk about when I talk about perspective. I mean, our, my parents and our family didn't have a bunch of money, but mom and dad were there, hardworking, mm -hmm. and religion was involved in, in those things. So, so we talk about privilege. You know, I look at it, and, and we look at it from the standpoint of, of the people around you being optimistic, telling you you can do the right mm. thing, telling you can mm. overcome things. Mm. So, so there's a perspective in in privilege. Like it's not like, hey man, we had a hundred thousand dollars in the bank, living in a nine hundred square foot house. Yeah. You know, dad blue collar worker, didn't go to college. You know, mom, mm. you know, worked in a department store. But the fact is, you know, you had, you know, I had, you know, both of them at the house, 
on the same path. Yeah. Our kids are going to college, and we're gonna make the sacrifices for our kids to go to college. Mm-hmm. And and responsible and accountable enough to be able to say you're not gonna be out here in these streets. Mm-hmm. You need to be on the seven o'clock. We kind of keep tabs on you to be able to keep you away from some of the things yeah. that going on. So so when I talk about privilege. Those are the type of things that I talk about that, that helped me mm-hmm. um, to be able to be in the situation. I it wasn't like hey man, I, I, you know, I was you know, I was just I was just real smart. So I just right. I got average grades, you know, mm-hmm. I you know, I did my share of stuff that wasn't the greatest in, in the world. So those, so there was a privilege there. I think that whether you're white or black, you have to kind of you have to recognize mm-hmm. that you know, when you born like you you ain't nobody. You know what I mean? You, you ain't nobody. You get shaped by your environment yeah. and the things and the things that happen. So people are like, hey man, I'm a self-made person. No, you're not. You're mm-hmm. never really a self-made person. You for the most part, you're an environment-made person. Yeah. And if you have a, a good and supportive environment, mm-hmm. that goes a long way toward toward you being successful in life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, there's so I think last night we were talking about uh, Big Bang Five. Yeah. Grant was your, right. your father and yeah. Um, he was a serial entrepreneur, mm-hmm. but and I asked last night, you know, did Grandpa have a lot of money? Yeah. He was like, no, you know, actually, he, he didn't have a lot of money, right. but some of his business endeavors didn't always make sense in terms of profit, right. if you will. But what he did was take care of his yeah. people around him. Yeah. You know, coming from Mississippi, and, and when I speak to Uncle Carl, I think Uncle Carl was nine and Grandpa was maybe 13 when yeah. they moved up to yeah. Indiana. Yeah. And were kind of, or no, they, the parents moved to Indiana. They were in Mississippi. Um, and when they migrated to South Bend, you can just, like, hearing what you said last night, I can understand the value of this community, of this circle, and of your people. And so while financial gain and financial profit and generational wealth in terms of dollars is wonderful, and we want that too. I think there's something to be said about the intangible nature of service, yeah. of, of community. Mm-hmm. And those things, that that might be the privilege that I am most proud of as well, is that our family is, we, we're generations of service. Yeah. You know, and, and it's not always about making the top dollar, but like you said, my grandpa may have been a little bit more witty when it came to business. And so he was paying uh, family members or friends yeah. to drive routes that weren't making money, or he was bringing properties to people and making a hundred dollars on the property because he was paying some of their bills too mm-hmm. but that's that's the humility that you know yeah. I feel like I speak of and it's it's different you know to be able to look at your family and say man how how humble are you to, to just serve and not to even talk about it and things like that well one of the things when we talk about service and one of the reasons why we talk about it in terms of whether um, my mother father your grandparents we don't necessarily talk about the service because they just they did stuff. Mm-hmm. They didn't say, "Hey, I'm giving." You don't realize till later, like that wasn't making any sense. Mm-hmm. You know what you were doing. You know that you're not making any real money doing this. Yeah. And then you, as you get older, realize like, no, you're really just helping people out. Mm-hmm. And so there was no, no people got to do community service. They didn't do community service. Yeah, it, it was it was just something with it. Like this is my guy. Yeah. You know, this is my guy. They need help. And then I think that the community also was like, so what do I really need? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean. You know, the house they lived in, they probably could afford to get a, a different house, but I mean, I like the house, it's close to my friends, I got the tools and everything right here, mm-hmm. this is cool, and I need to be able to make sure that I got my money to help my kids from college. So the service, and that's kind of what I see with with me and you know, people ask me, like, well, why do you do this? I, mean, I, I don't really think about mm-hmm. it, I'm going to do something to help somebody out. I mean, I'm, I try to do the right thing. Right. I'm in a position 
to be able to help people. So why wouldn't I? I mean, what else do I really need? Yeah. You, and what else do you? I mean, y'all have a nice house, you got a wife, you got a good job, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm out here doing doing something, and and it helps people. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that that comes from within, and it's organic. But a lot of it came from the fact that it's just what you saw. Yeah. And there was no announcement about I'm getting ready to go help somebody. Mm-hmm. Even with my grandma, the, you know, the Bible talks about helping the elderly. And mom would, mom would get bank accounts or help the mm-hmm. elderly women in the church and mm-hmm. take them to the store and, and be the uh, the power attorney for their bank accounts. Wow. You know, help them do wow. things like that and go visit the sick and show them. But that's what she was. But she knew that's what she was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, biblically, that's what you're supposed to do. And that's when, like I'm going wow. to take Miss Dunn to the to the um to the bank. I'm going to take her to, to pay her bills, or I'm going to take this done to the grocery store. There would be like two or three people mm-hmm. that that she would just she would just do that for. Okay. And she didn't really she didn't really talk about it, but taking somebody to the grocery store. So those some of those people, some of those women were friends of her mother, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. my grandmother, and they were still alive, and so they them out. so she helped them out, mm-hmm. take them to the grocery store, do some do some things that are that might seem minor, to you, but Taking an elderly person, and we're talking, and we're talking like in the eighties or nineties, mm-hmm. too, where and given where they where they came from, I mean, they're not trying to catch the bus. No, yeah. they're not trying to catch the bus. They don't necessarily have people around them that can really do some of those mm-hmm. things. But well, she felt that that was her responsibility, mm-hmm. and and that's what she did. So mm-hmm. you know, that's just you know that was service, and I know she like, she was just saying, "There goes, I'm going to take the bus to the store." That and you're like, "All right, yeah." <laughs> All right. I mean, yeah, I didn't. You know, it was not a. I'm going to help somebody. Like, yeah, she didn't tell me to help somebody. That's just that's just what she did. And those are the kind of things that we saw. And mm-hmm. I think that those are the kind of things that also make you realize, even when you when you are in a community too. Well, a lot of people are not doing well. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are not doing well, especially particularly black, black people. Yeah, and a lot of people are not doing well. Like, man, I'm doing all right. I mean, mm-hmm. house could be bigger, car could be newer, but. I'm good. I'm not wanting for anything. There are people that can't give them point A to point B. Mm-hmm. That's not your issue. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I think that there's some there's some humility and understanding in the where they got. I try to do two things like, well, I can't send the kids to to private school mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Like, nah, but they need to go to public school. Yeah. And, <laughs> and figure out what the school yeah. is, and they not get ready to get a whole bunch of extra stuff mm-hmm. like five to six pairs of tennis shoes. And, yeah. We just out here spending money like that. Nah, no, nah, that's blurred. Like we ain't got no rims. Like hey, y'all need to mm-hmm. fall in line, get a job, and you know, a menial job. Yeah. Cut the grass, go and grandpa rake leaves. You know, mm-hmm. that's, all, that's that's what y'all did. Like all that kind of stuff. So don't get used to this up here, because mm-hmm. you know, my dad used to say something that I don't know. Um, and I, and I used to think it was the Bible. I learned it because it's gonna be the the Bible. He said. You know, mom may have it, and, and father may have a guy, but child years old. I'm mm. about to say it like, I might have some. You gotta get your own. Right. So, right. <laughs> so y'all need to figure it out for yourself. Yeah, I, I think that's that's pretty that's pretty cool to um, think about. And you you hit on service at the beginning, like in the fifties, the sixties, seventies, eighties. Yeah. Service wasn't necessarily now. Now I can go start a nonprofit. Right. But in nineteen sixty. From Mississippi, can I start a nonprofit? Is it necessary to start a nonprofit? So that service was within the community of the church or yeah. the community of the East Side. Um, and, and I know that you've taken that service from uh, the East Side to the entire city of South Bend yeah. and to the state for that matter. 
um, you can to Selma, yeah. Alabama. You know, um, there's, there's there's different pockets of service that you have, and how that's grown from from one generation helping the East Side and the church community, to not helping the city through your law practice, yeah. um, through your sports agency, through your nonprofit, yeah. through the expungement in the city, to um, being one of what twelve out of three hundred judges in Indiana, black judges. Yeah, there's probably six hundred, and it's, it's it's like a half a percent or percent, mm-hmm. whatever the number. It's, it's a ridiculous number. So six hundred judges make you twelve black. But you were just saying that you've had hundred and twenty service hours with yeah. the judiciary. Yeah, and a lot of things that you talk about are about diversity and about being black as a judge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, I I just feel I just feel privileged to be in the position that I'm in. And I think that we all have, we all have a responsibility to be able to do what we can at whatever level we're at. Mm-hmm. If if your job is to march, if, if that's if that's what you are good at, if that's what you if that's what your opportunity presents you with, then that's what you should do. If at your job, um, wherever that job might be, is to be leader and speak up on those things that that you don't feel are right, then it's that. But my job, you know, being as part of the judiciary, it's it's telling people what it's like to be me mm-hmm. in this situation and what people think when they see us on the bench and, and what it's like to be on the other side of that because having represented people, mm-hmm. um, I, I know how, hey man, I'm not trying to go to court, this ain't going to good for me, that kind of thing. So part of my job is, you know, I, I have a platform and I don't, and I think that we all have platforms. Your platform may be in your own household. Mm-hmm. And so use your platform to be able to put forward the cause. Yeah. And that's what I do with mine. So I don't see mine as 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 any any greater the impact may be greater mm-hmm. because because I have a bigger bully pulpit to be able right. to do some things. But it's just it's just what I have responsibility to do. Mm-hmm. Like I'm here and my job is to move the ball forward for yeah. for our community. That's, yeah. That's what I do. I, I think that's that's a good thing because it's one thing it's okay to take care of your house. Yeah, you gotta take care of your house first. And then seeing that, like myself, we just moved into a house, yeah. we got our son, I'm thinking about how to get more flexibility to take care of my family in terms of quality time, in terms of, of babysitter or, or nanny, whatever. But after you got your house taken care of, you can go outside and expand some of that. And now you chuckled, I don't know why you chuckled when I mentioned that you always talk about black stuff with the judge <laughs> uh, conferences and things. Can you give me an example of, um, or the people an example of an article that you've written or how you're bringing awareness to people that are, and I want to emphasize, judges are determining the future yeah. of people. And so by you shedding light on, hey, this is what you have the power to do right now. What, what, just give me one example of, of how you're bringing awareness to the 600 judges in the state of Indiana. So I was, um, I wrote an article with, a white colleague of mine in particular. And one of the reasons why we wrote the article together was because we thought if if it was just me writing it, okay, the black guy's writing it, he got mm-hmm. this black thing. And if it's a white guy writing it, well then we got this white thing. Mm-hmm. So us being together coming from different sides of the track, we wrote an article um, called A Letter from the Birmingham Jail. And it, mm-hmm. was, it was about um, Martin Luther King and the letter that he wrote um, the Birmingham Jail. And that was published in a, in a statewide um, newsletter, um, the statewide publication magazine uh, in, in the state of Indiana. So it went to judges and, and attorneys throughout the state. And it talked about 
it was really kind of a call for action from judges and attorneys um, to be able to do what you can do to be able to move the ball forward and how uh, and how people try to get in the case like, hey man, you need to wait, you know, you need to wait, why don't you wait to see if this happens, wait to see if that happens. And and he said, and Martin Luther King said, he said, look, waiting is not it, you know, waiting is not what we've been waiting. This is not gonna happen, it's time to move forward. And and he was most disappointed in in the people who were apathetic, mm-hmm. the people that, well, I'm not gonna do anything. So um, if you need to do something. So that we we wrote that article and, and I was on a panel also one time that uh, it, we talked about talked about diversity. It was the article, I mean the, the, the panel was four of us. And I think that it had something to do with it, it was basically like colors would like to be black, but like <laughs> or brown or a woman or Indian, we had those four representations mm-hmm. and and um, it was and, and one of the interesting things I, I'll say about that. So before before I took the stage to meet other people, mm-hmm. I ran into this um, this black judge from Fort Wayne. And just to tell you the mentality of of how we think we as as black people, she said she said I saw you gonna be on a panel about about race, and she said. Are you gonna be able to speak the truth, or were you told mm. not to be truthful mm. about? And 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 just that was I had never I had any had any conversation with her about what I was going to do. Yeah. But she knew like I understand that you're gonna be on here, but I want to know well, you're you to speak say. freely, yeah. or yeah. did somebody tell you not? That's that's just like a basic mentality. Mm-hmm. Like man, I know you're not gonna be able to. And I said it to her, and I said to those people, I said, look, um, one of the benefits is like you said having your house taken. Like look. My kids are all in school, mm-hmm. and so, uh, and I've been done well enough that they can't say nothing to me because first of all, it's true, yeah. and second of all, I've taken care of my responsibilities at home. You know, all my kids might not have been done school, but I can pay for them. I can see the lighting mm-hmm. in the tunnel, so I can say what I want to say. Yeah, and other people might not be in that in that situation, mm-hmm. and that's and that's part of what we're talking about too, because everybody's not in the position. That's one of the reasons why I have certain freedoms in my position mm-hmm. and where I am in life that either you may not have or the next person might not have. Like, nah, man, but I can't say that. Yeah, you know, I got to work. I got to work, man. They put me out. I mean, I know. And, and you have to be aware of that. You know, I say it might come in there, you know, with this stuff, but, mm-hmm. you know, because, because you know, you could be out of a job. And that's real, you know. Yeah. That's real. However, however real or accurate what you have to say is, mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is you still need a job. Yeah. You need to be able to know how to move out of your space because you know, yeah. <clears throat> black power and all that. <clears throat> you don't have a job, can't take care of your family. Yeah. That's you know, that's the realest thing there is. You, know, you can't help nobody. You can't help yourself. So so you know, those are those are some of the things that, that, that I've done. But you know, it's all true. I mean, no one can really call me on, on on my life. Like this is how you know, I said when it was eight to four thirty, at four thirty, I'll be back to being black. I mean, you know, I gotta you know, eight I got a robe on and one of the um, one of the uh, this judge um, said one day I was, I was sitting off at my robe on this. Then I was in court and then I had a break and I was sitting with this one robe and he walked up and said, "Man, you always got your robe on." I said, "Why got your robe on?" I said, "And I, I, I just off the top like because I feel safe in this robe." I said, <laughs> "I said, matter of fact, I'm gonna drive home in this robe. I feel like right. I have a better opportunity to be able to get home yeah. safer yeah. in this robe than I do just being 
Yeah. Blacks. And it's crazy that you can say that jokingly, but it's the truth. It's the truth. Yeah, it's, we it's, 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 truth. it's the truth. You know, I think and I'm going to go to your office, too, at the courthouse. You know, it, it's fun to be able to walk into the courthouse yeah. and to go through the metal detectors <laughs> and, and the police. Not try to stop a Christmas. Oh, yeah. Drake's son. All right, let's let's yeah. go. Yeah, and walk into your office and you got young Jeezy playing or, uh, <laughs> or Snoop Dogg or something like that before you walk into yeah. the courtroom. <laughs> it, but that's the realness, right? Yeah. And, and that's the really, uh, that's what we can inspire for other folks to be. So I mean, the, the thousand I think you said you had over three thousand. You have like eight thousand cases in. Uh, I mean, me well personally, personally in my private practice. I mean, I've probably done 500 or more trials. I've probably represented you know, thousands of people as far as case. I know just in one section of cases I do, I, I, I have to make decisions on 1,200. So it's probably 2,000 cases that I deal with in, in any given year. Mm-hmm. I've mentioned now for over eight years. So mm-hmm. it's a lot. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. a lot. You know, you just move from one thing to the next to the next. And I can't even imagine how, um, I've never been, thankfully, I've never been having to go into a court office or nothing like that, but I I can't imagine, and maybe it's not that way, but if you're going into a courtroom and you're a black person, I feel like it has to feel better when your judge is black too. There was a a guy that came in one day, he said, uh, probably in his 50s or so, he came in in with somebody else, this Mm -hmm. is about three years ago, guy came into court. Person he came in with, uh, they weren't there that long, and there was nobody else in the court. Me and my staff who were in the courtroom came in, and the, the two it was like totally like three black guys, and the one guy had the case, and the other person didn't show up. And I said, you know, sir, you know your case is dismissed. You don't have to be there. Mm-hmm. And they got to the back door, and one of the guys he was with, he he opened the door and he looked back and said, I've never seen a black judge before. Mm-hmm. And and you could tell that 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 really meant something to him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my decision my decisions are not based on someone being black right. or white or rich or poor, Gabby. But I think that I think that for us, um, just seeing just seeing someone that looks like you mm-hmm. and and hearing someone talk like me, he talked like he might be really one of us. Yeah. Um, man, I think I, I might have a shot, you know. Mm-hmm. And I try to make certain I, I I try to make sure that people believe that they're gonna get a fair chance. I'm, I'm not gonna tell you it, 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 it is. And I, and I told and I and I told in the in the discussion that I've had with our other fellow judicial officers in the state of Indiana, mm-hmm. I've tried to let, make them understand that that you have to put yourself in the position of that person. This ain't going right for, mm-hmm. for black people in their life. Coming to court has not really been a, a good outcome. Yeah. Um, whether it, it just has over the years. I mean, I mean, the, the people who made the decisions about about segregation in schools, the people who made the decisions about segregated neighborhoods, about being three fifths of a person, all those people were judges. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, those institutions through Senators and legislators and all those kind of things. Those those cases went to a judiciary, whether it was local, state, or the federal government. At some point, you know, and maybe those decisions might have been changed later down the line. But the the decisions about us being slaves and that was and being property, 
that was made by those were made by by yeah. judges. By, and they were legislated, and the legislators made them, and they went up, and, mm-hmm. and, and the local courts and the Supreme Court said, "Yep, you know, black people don't have to go to white people don't have to go to school with black people." That was made, and so I don't think that they that people quite understand that historically this is not going well. So I try to make certain that I call everybody sir or ma'am. And I try to explain things to them about the process. Mm-hmm. Like I said, there's no get. I'm gonna decide the case based on the facts. But as far as this case and how it how it unfolds, like sir or ma'am, I'm going to tell. Them. I do the same thing to everyone, but I try to make certain that they understand that this is gonna be a process. Yeah. And I think it's important for them to understand yeah. the process. Yeah. It's not just like something I did off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. This is the process. You're gonna have an opportunity to talk. You're gonna have an opportunity to talk. And I'm gonna make a decision. And sometimes, even if the decision is not favorable, I explain what the law is. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's important for people to understand. But it's one of the reasons for diversity, you know, too. So people feel, I think we have a responsibility to try to make people, at, at least, it should at least look like it might be fair. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, if I've been to 100 courthouses, and out of all 100 courthouses, I've never seen a, a black person or I've never seen a woman, and then it don't really look like this mm-hmm. is fair. Or when I go to, when people talk about the um, a jury of peers, you know, and I've said that the people are I don't see my peers. I'm there. <laughs> Why so, so, and, I, and I've sat several times when I was in private practice and, and we were on trial, serious case, burglary, mm-hmm. robbery, murder, and the jurors file in. The way it works is that there's going to be a jury of 12 people, but they might call in 60 people or 70 people and questions get asked and people get chosen and chosen. So, mm-hmm. when people are coming out of out of the door there, you sitting there, you know, first five people come in, second five people come in, mm-hmm. so they all come in, they kind of file at the same time, the person like, there's nobody black. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought this was, I'm like, I should explain to you. That means out of the pool of people, mm-hmm. there are black people in the pool, not in the pool that's actually here, but, right. when, but when, the, when the computer picks, there were some black people in that, out of the 100,000 people, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean anybody black is mm-hmm. actually yeah. going to be here, right. but because that's not something that you're like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you. It doesn't actually mean you have anybody black mm-hmm. over there. It means that out of all the people, there were black people in it, or there were women in it, or there were Latino in it. So, so it can be, it can be very, when you, especially when you don't feel like people understand, y'all understand my situation. Mm-hmm. And when I start telling you about my life mm-hmm. and what goes on my, in my neighborhood, you may not really quite understand, you know, so you got up in the morning, you did what? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're poor and you live in certain neighborhoods, you move around with lights on. Yeah, you know, and then, well, first thing I did was, you know, I mean, you know, I, I got high, I drank, like, that's not a crime. You know, we're, you know, we're okay. That doesn't make me guilty of murder. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I think you get, can, you can kind of get, man, have a lot of confidence yeah. in the system. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, and that's, that's the restorative piece that we're talking about. Yeah. And so just, being able to go into a place where you feel like you have a fair chance, right. where, right. where my dad is going to explain to me what's right. going on, and it's, and it's not already callous because he's seen so many black people that look like me walking in the courthouse, and he assumes that I'm just like yeah. the rest of them. Yeah. Black people don't get considered as people. I know we changed the three-fifths rule, right. but some people still see us the same way. Yeah. Tennessee, if you talk about critical race theory, uh-huh. $5 million fine. <laughs> Five million fine for talking about the truth. Well, and that's what it is. I, I, I on, on that issue, when people talk about critical race theory, like, I don't know. When someone said, "What's going on?" I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. You know, what what is history? 
you know, what what is history going to be? You know, people sometimes sometimes people can put labels on things, and we allow the narrative to be carried by somebody else. You know, they label someone labels something as this, mm-hmm. and we and, and that's the term that gets used. Like, I don't know what that is because mm-hmm. because we teach history. We teach history. Yeah. We, if if that makes you feel a certain way, then I ain't got nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. But if the history is accurate, I don't see why it shouldn't be. Yeah. I don't see. And you also have to realize is that look, if you feel some kind of way, that's that's on you. Mm-hmm. I mean. I, I know what happened, whether you teach it or not, I know what happened here, yeah. okay? But that it doesn't mean like, when people, you know, Mussolini was a bad guy, um, Stalin was a bad guy. I'm like, I don't dislike Russians because mm-hmm. of Stalin. I don't dislike Italians because of yeah. Mussolini. I'm not yeah. going to, I'm not going to dislike any group of people because one some, person. because one person or a group of people did something 300 years ago. I don't dislike it. I, that that doesn't that doesn't make any sense to me. There's, I don't think there's anything to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. Teaching history, I think that one of the things that happens is, I mean, we should be accurate in yeah. our history. So, I, like I say, I don't really have a, I don't have an opinion on that because I don't. Yeah. That term doesn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. It just means that I'm, I, I know I know how my I know how my father grew up in right. Mississippi. Right. You know, I know about picking cotton. I know about being called boy. I know mm-hmm. about. Not being able to say this car yeah. was yours and not be able to stay in hotels. I mean, I know about that. I don't know what that is. I don't know what to call it. Mm-hmm. You know, I call it, I can't stay in a hotel because I'm black. I can't leave the counter because I'm black. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like just being black in America. Just being black in America. That's it. That's yeah. it. And I, I do want to dive in more to the restorative practices, but you did mention Birmingham and Selma. Yeah. And um, I don't think I realized that you had a nonprofit that was doing some of the work down there, but you go to Selma yeah. every year. You do a march. Uh, you've met uh, a lot of people yeah. that come down. It's a big deal. Can you yes, talk about that piece there? So it's me and Cleo Washington and Dr. Uh, Dr. Marie Harrison. Actually, our headquarters is actually in South Carolina. Mm. It's in Columbia, South Carolina. So our headquarters here, we started about 10 years or so ago, and the Institute for Emerging Leaders is, is what it's mm. called, and we're trying to do is we try to help um, young people, particularly particularly black and brown kids um, have an experience about our history. So every year, except for like this past year because of COVID, I don't think it was like this past year, and maybe the year before because of COVID, we were playing here too. But every year in particular, um, we have, we bring people in, students, young students from Texas and other places come in and we basically a black history lesson mm-hmm. and do a tour of the, of the voting rights museum and go to the um, go to Edmund Pettus Bridge mm-hmm. and do those do those kind of things. And so been doing that um, every year. It was a, it was a brainchild of, of of Cleo Washington, and um, and it's just what we've been doing. And you know, it's just one of the things like I don't really think about it too much, but mm-hmm. it, it, it is is probably yeah. a deal. I mean, there was a lot of the a lot of the. So we, I was there when uh, President Obama. Fiftieth anniversary of the Voting mm-hmm. Rights Act, you know, mm-hmm. years ago. So I was there when President Obama was there, and uh, and a lot of the a lot of the leader politicians were there, particularly uh, during the election period. Mm-hmm. So you know, a bunch of them were there, like Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton and Jesse Jackson. The last time there, I went, they were there at a, at a big breakfast that we were at. So it, it's an opportunity to be able to help because um, some was just such a. I mean, when you when you think about you know, so I've been on the Edinburgh Bridge and taking pictures. See Louis Selma, and that's one thing. But when you stand on the bridge, and and when you actually are standing there, and you realize what those people were going to do, and 
when you go there, you, there's, there's a lot more to it. Uh, a lot more to it. Mm -hmm. First of all, when you see it, and then they they had this. And a lot of the black people were were because they tried to vote. They were kicked out of their houses. They lost mm -hmm. their jobs. And they had there's a, there's a museum there that a lot of people know about. This is just intense because um, between Montgomery and Selma, people were kicked out of say Selma, and they lived you know kind of off the road in the field, and they had these tents and, mm -hmm. and wooden stoves and that kind of wow. stuff. The families lived, and so there's a museum there that's dedicated to that outside of Selma, mm -hmm. and uh, people used to talk about you know people tours and talk about people driving by the highway and shooting randomly at the people who are in, in the fields, you know, those kind of things. And that's that's one of the things that when you when you go there you get the so no one ever heard of this. But mm -hmm. but obviously it's a thing because there's a there's a there's a large museum right that with all of the with you know how the tip city is set up and the people doing mm -hmm. tours, that kind of thing. And you know, we'll be just shaking hands like you know, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Are, you, are you serious? Yeah. I feel like, you know, those these kind of pieces, somebody told me to document, don't create. You know, and yeah. so yeah. we can try to create an experience for the Emerging Leaders Institute in a classroom or inside of four walls, but there's something else to look at the history that's been documented. I know it's still a museum, but looking yeah. at the history and seeing that history, it hits a whole lot different. It does. I, I think with, so like for me, when you started telling me stories about Grandpa, about 10, 11, 12 years old, big right. bank buy, cash yeah. and checks, plowing snow, buying yeah. houses. That got me really intrigued to know yeah. more about our history. Yeah. But then I learned about the family Bible, I learned about your fourth agency, learned about yeah. Selma. It's like, man, we gotta document this stuff. That's true. It's, it's a real legacy that we have. And so um, I'm transitioning a little bit into that legacy piece because um, Uncle Carl, uh, Grandpa's brother, studied history at Mississippi Valley State. Yeah. He he went to Mississippi Valley State when it was uh, Mississippi Vocational College. But I didn't know that. It's the fifth year that it was open. It must be when. Yeah. Um, he he learned that the college was coming to uh, it had been in Mississippi population eighteen hundred. He was nine, and that's when he decided he was going to go to college. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm telling a little bit of the story. But he went to college. Took him seven years, but he was in the National Guard, I think. Yeah, he was. And um, worked his way up to a general, I want to say. I'm not sure, but I, he was, I know he worked his way up to Some position that yeah. he had that was permanent, which yeah. was unheard of. But stuff like that, those kind of stories, Uncle Tommy, the meanest man in Mississippi, <laughs> never pulled a gun on a man he didn't shoot. Yeah. You know, maybe not yeah. the most proud story you have, but that's history. Yeah. That's legacy. That was 150 years ago. Yeah. You know, so I think with the podcast, and with these stories, you know, I told you when I take Marcellus on walks, I uh, start an audio memo and I'll tell him the same stories. I tell him about Uncle Tommy, about you, about Grandma, about Grandpa, right. all those folks, because part of it is I want you to know where you come from, Marcellus. I want you to know what your people do and continue that service. But I also want to document all this information because it can get lost. Yeah, uh, it, it can get lost if, if when Uncle Carl passes away, mm -hmm. who's going to pass those stories? Fortunately, he's told Keith uh, us yeah. and whatnot, but how do we keep these things uh, rolling? And, and I'm almost done again. I'm on my soapbox a little bit, but we were talking, it might have been a month ago, about your court cases. And you're talking about you about to throw them away. I'm like, wait, 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 yeah. Dad, don't, <laughs> don't throw out 20 years of your yeah, defense attorney's work. Yeah. I mean, you've had some major trials yeah. that you've been a part of, yeah. and, and a lot of the work as an attorney in South Bend is major. So keeping some of those records 
that that continues our documentation trail. We've got the Bible from 1830s. We've got the records of the third black uh, judge, but before he was a judge, he was a, an attorney. Right. We've got these historical cases. For me now, 200 podcast episodes, 100 hours of content, just continuing to build the legacy. And so, I mean, those those are the pieces of, um, I feel like that's, I, I don't even know what it is, but there's something about keeping that history and pushing that ball forward. Well, I mean, you, when you put it out to me, it's like, don't throw all that stuff away. Like, but, it, but when you said, like, oh, yeah, you're right. I mean, there was some, I mean, there was, there's a case in particular, um, like the Disney University, so apparently I was co-counseling the case, and the case has been like all over the country. Mm-hmm. And they asked me to whoever is doing the, the podcast. I guess this is something that is very well known throughout the country. People in my office and people at the school corporation, because they because when they found out the law, like mm-hmm. they, you know, they wanted to meet and hear the details about the trial. Yeah. yeah, about the penalty trial. But and I couldn't and I couldn't really talk about it. I don't think that it's appropriate even though the case mm-hmm. is over there were there were things that i know was involved with in the case that and i know the other attorney spoke on it and that's fine but as far as me personally mm-hmm. my first and foremost obligation is, is to the client and, and i'm not mm-hmm. and i'm not going not not paying or money or anything like that but you know they called me and i said you know i can't do it mm-hmm. um but it's, it's a very significant case and maybe sometime in life i'm going to do it there's, you know, there's documentation, there's, there's pages yeah. of that kind of thing, there's books written about it, there's mm-hmm. the podcast of, I don't even remember what it is, but, you know, because I don't really watch a lot of that, but yeah. apparently it was a very well known kind of sweep in the country for a couple of weeks. So, yeah, there's cases like that, and there's other cases, that, you know, federal cases, and state cases that I'll hold on to, and maybe like, so it's helping me mm-hmm. you know, it was a case. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who charged with like a thousand pounds of marijuana brought from, from uh, you know, but I think some of that stuff, since somebody said it's, um, I probably, I didn't really push you all to be lawyers mm-hmm. because part of what I did in, in terms of, I appreciate what I do, but it was kind of how I was cutting in, in terms of how I grew up and what, you know, what in the worst neighborhood, that kind of thing, but, but. Dealing with people who committed crimes and that kind of thing was not. Those are your friends. Those are my friends. So, so you know, you all were another step removed now. Yeah. And so, when I'm going to the jail, when you go to the jail to talk to somebody, you know, first set of doors locked, second set of doors locked, mm-hmm. third set of doors locked, and then you lock into a room. I don't want my kids to do this. You yeah. know what I mean? I don't, yeah. I don't want them yeah. to do this. But if it is a story to tell, there is something to be documented mm-hmm. about some of the things that um, that have been done. So I'm sure that I'll, I'll look back at it and, and, and remark some of this, and hopefully we'll. So you know, Papa Dre, what, what, what did you do? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what was your, you know, I saw something on TV, like, oh, you know, I did that, you know, a couple dozen times. Yeah. So yeah. it might be, you know, for me, it's like I'm doing my job. I'm mm-hmm. not like, so you're like, yeah, I'm not saying the first thing you do, and people ask me. So we like, yeah, like, no, nah, what is it? This, this is what I do. Yeah. Then there's the next case and the next case. So, but for other people, that's not what you do. That was, that was my daily life. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. this, this is what I do mm-hmm. all day, every day. So. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up. If, if I had um, a book about Uncle Tommy, yeah. or there was records about Uncle Tommy, I would scour those things. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that wouldn't be everybody in our family, but um, to be able to, if I, you know, I remember when Grandpa passed away. Yeah. Um, we went looking through everything, getting stuff out of the house. You know, he had ten guns. Yeah. 
in the house, or, or we had uh, the fake Rolex watches. Yeah, that church, but, yeah. but like, I kept the fake Rolex. I said, I want, I want, I want hold it, and yeah. I would wear that watch too. And I told people, but those pieces, I think, part of me is like, I want to document this stuff so that maybe it'll be a book, maybe it'll be a movie, maybe it'll be whatever. And even if it's not for anybody in the public, it'll be for our family. And then the other piece, I think, um, as you get removed from the hood, yeah, I'm gonna just keep it real. Sometimes kids get uh, weird. You know, <laughs> you, you know, you 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 get farther removed from your history, from your roots, and you know, even as parents, I'm not going to private school. You know, you you need to know who you are. You you are still black, and, and I, I you need to know who you are and where you're coming from. So, like with Marcellus, hey man, he I we live in the hood as little as seven months ago. <laughs> Gunshots every night, every night they come by, you know, folks that were homeless, folks that were alcoholics, walking by the house, doing the yard work, we had holes in the floor, yeah. you know, island streets growing up. My son ain't living in the hood, and he's not going to experience that, but how can he know the legacy and the foundation that was laid for him to be able to have the privilege to, to have a nice home? To, yeah. to, we literally, and I'm going to be brief. We signed our house the day Carmen was induced. Right. We moved into the house the day she was released. So he doesn't know anything yeah. but this nice neighborhood, yeah. this nice yeah. house, yeah. Um, you know, this privilege that he was born into. But he's not about to forget it. He, he, you're going to know where you're coming from. You're going to know your family. You're going to know your legacy. And it doesn't have to be, um, I'm not saying I'm going to be mean and like drop him off in the hood and yeah. stuff like yeah. that. That would be good. Just, just look, here, here's where you're coming from. You got you got two hundred years of legacy that you were born into. So before your head gets big and you think you got all this and all that, this is where we started. Um, and I think that's important. For you. It, it is important, and and you have a challenge too to be able, like you say, Marcellus is born here, and you're not gonna drop him off mm -hmm. in the nor should you. Mm -hmm. But I think, but it's also important. That's also important for me to be comfortable around black people, mm -hmm. around around my people. And sometimes yeah. you get too far removed. And and man, I'm uncomfortable. I don't know how to act. I don't want to move around. And that was that was one of the things I wanted for for you all to be able to do is to be able to be comfortable with. I mean, one of the and people can make their decisions about what they want to do in life, like I think. But I mean, I'm I'm black, you know, mm -hmm. through and through. And and you know, I love my people. And yeah. and so and then when I see people that are like really uncomfortable around being. And look, I will say this, black people are different though too. Yeah. Know? Black people, you know, we move around a little different, talk yeah. a little different, that kind of thing. But um but the most entertaining people ever, mm -hmm. okay, the most entertaining people ever. You don't need TV, you don't need movies. Yeah. So but but I you know, to be able to be comfortable mm -hmm. um in, in an environment around people that look like you, I I think is important, yeah. you know, important for it because and, and also being being able to be in an environment that and it's not just because they're black people, but, but just in, in different environments where look, if somebody's gonna rob me, I need to know what a robbery is about to look like. Okay, and that's not me saying being about black people, but I'm saying whatever the environment is, y'all go to folks. But I, I told the brother's lawyer one day, and I'm like, man, I said, hey, um, can, can you like bully me in school? Right? I said that I was kind of joking because I know he had older brothers, brothers and sister that bully him all the time. I knew that he would be able to, but he said, uh, he said. He said, uh, are you scared? You know, that, yeah, the people that got guns, the people that went to, you know, because I forgot that, you know, people can yeah. go away to the boys' school, the girls' school, and then they come back to regular school. I'm like, yeah, dude had a gun in school. He's been locked up, right? Yeah. I'm a little nervous. Somebody, I'm like, yeah. 
but but you should know who you're nervous yeah. about. Okay, yeah. that's that's the situation that you might want to be a little cautious. You can't be so sheltered and inside the wall in your neighborhood that you don't know because that's that that that's where you end up. I want to say maybe the downfall. You know, you get sheltered so much because you you want to hide your kids from right. the the pain or the struggle, and they never know it. So they when they are exposed to it. You know, they, they get turned out in a way that man, I can't wait till I go to school, so I can go yeah. to buck wild, or um, or they, they never connect with their roots. And, and um, I'm joking here too, but you become a Republican yeah. and, and start uh, enjoying Candace Owens and, and this anti all the anti black rhetoric you're right. supporting, like yeah. y'all, you're black. Yeah, okay. th- this is not for you. Yeah, this this ain't this ain't for you. Like you can have some of those concepts of you know, conservative fiscally or whatever the case right. is, but if if Somebody's not representing black people well. I don't know how much you should be vouching for that. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm I don't want to go down that that rat hole there. But I, I to wrap it, I'll close it back up. I think um, what I really wanted to do with this first piece of the episode is talk about the legacy, talk about the history, and, right. and um, again, even if it's just for Marcella continue to hear what his family's gone through. But a lot of the conversation is also around restorative practices, yeah. restorative justice. And even when we're talking about 